0: You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm Kyle Daigle. I'm the host. Feels kind of weird to say that. I'm the host of the Ruby on Rails podcast. Uh, This is the first episode without um, the previous co-host, Sean. So we're going to give this new format a shot. I brought on Mike McQuaid. He's one of the maintainers of Homebrew. Uh, We had a chat around how Homebrew works and how he got involved and the biggest problems that he's had with Homebrew. Uh, It should be pretty great to listen to. That'll be coming up next. Otherwise, I'm going to try this new format. I want to bring people on every week and not really interview as much as try and emulate and have a conversation with them about what they're doing, why they're doing it, uh, why I think it's interesting, Uh, a little bit of completely random stuff since most of these people that I'm bringing on, I know. Uh, But I'd love to hear your feedback around whether you think it's actually working, whether you think it's cool. Uh, If you want someone to come on the podcast that hasn't been on the podcast in a while, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me at Twitter. Uh, My handle there is kdaigle, Or you can shoot me an email, kyle at digitalworkbox.com, and we can chat about ways to make this interesting over the next couple months as we get going. This episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Braintree Payments. Why make payment integration more difficult than it has to be? Braintree's powerful full-stack payment platform allows you to accept nearly any type of payment from any device with just one integration. It's flexible to your system's needs and supports most programming languages. So whether you're using Java, Ruby, or Python, you'll always have a range of server-side and client-side SDKs available. Braintree makes payments and your job a whole lot easier. Learn more at braintreepayments.com slash Rails podcast. That's braintreepayments.com slash rails podcast. And now, let's have a chat with Mike McQuaid, one of the maintainers of the Homebrew Package Management System. What's the weather like, Mike? Uh,
1: Kind of... It it can't make up its mind really. It's like alternates between being freezing and far too hot in the same day. It <laughs> alternates between raining and being fine. Yeah, everything's weird.
0: Now is that like the season or is that just always?
1: I think it's a combination of the season, climate change, and me just being pathetic. Grumpy. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. <laughs> Oh
0: man, that's awesome! Well, uh, thanks for being my first uh, willing victim of uh, being a co-host guest host on this new nouveau version of the Ruby on Rails
1: podcast. That's my pleasure, but I mean, it's not starting well because I was hoping to immediately make the victim joke, and then you've already stolen it. So <laughs> see, it's see, I'm downhill telling from you. here.
0: Yeah. Well, now when you message me after listening to, listening to an episode, uh, it'll be about you. Someone will message you. I heard you on the podcast, Mike, and I really didn't like this one this one thing you did.
1: Yeah, that's... I mean, I'm used to... I get that a lot. So, you know, I just have a filter set up, so I only receive positive praise, um, which filters out like 99% of my email, but, you know.
0: <laughs> I can imagine your Facebook has to be very uh,
1: rainbows and unicorns then. Well, I mean, my, my Facebook's mostly... I mean... I've said this for a while. It's like Twitter's for arguing with people you don't know and Facebook's for arguing with people you do know. So Facebook's a, a relatively close-knit group of people who I know well enough to just like tell them they're terrible because of their political opinions or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't I don't really use Facebook. I don't really get it anymore. I mean I have an account and I like I like people's stuff, but if you go to look at my like timeline or whatever, it's probably like Nine months ago, I I put something in.
1: Yeah, I don't really post much anymore. I feel like both Facebook and Twitter. I I guess I got burned out on the like. You post an opinion that's slightly controversial, and everyone jumps on you. And you know, like I, I guess that's probably just the internet, and I should have really learned that earlier than, than now that that's what happens.
0: Yeah, I learned that the hard way when I started hosting uh, the podcast just every, everything I say gets cemented in stone. And then it's like, Kyle doesn't like go or Kyle hates rails or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean,
1: those are both true. So I don't know why you would.
0: <laughs> wow. Thanks. Oh man. Uh, so for those, uh, who don't know you, Mike, whoa, who are you? What do you do?
1: So I, am two or more people. Uh, I, my main hat is, while my job, at least, is working at GitHub. I work as an engineer, um, formerly on the same team as Kyle. And my other hat is I am the lead maintainer of Homebrew, which is a package manager for Macs, that if you haven't got a Mac, you have no idea what it is, and then you might try it and think that it's awful compared to other package managers. (laughs) So uh, I don't know how Homebrew started so it basically it was started by a guy called max uh and he initially had ideas about having a package manager that would do some smart things and and most of his initial idea was around it being beer themed i think more than any sort of technical implementation i just you know i'm not sure whether the whether the drive was that there wasn't any package managers that met his needs or just that there wasn't any package managers that like had,
0: had, a, had enough puns in them. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like the the, the, pun to, the pun to packages ratio was too low. So he uh, created this package manager called Homebrew. Uh, the, at the time, the main probably package manager on Macs was um, Mac ports. And the main early a couple of the early differentiators were it installed into user local, it uh, built like optimized packages for you, so like configure them specifically for your machine, and it – what's the other big thing? Oh yeah, and the, the other big thing is that it doesn't basically build the universe. Um, it uses its the system dependencies when it can, so like OS X ships like – or macOS now um, – ships like outdated versions of a bunch of libraries and mac ports view was okay well we're going to bundle and like install the new versions and the homebrew view was like well we're going to rely on the system as much as possible just because you know you probably don't actually care that much and you trust apple to have like at least security updates for things like libxml even if the the bugs are annoying so if i'm a new rails uh engineer, how
0: would I have probably used Homebrew up to this point?
1: So you've probably used Homebrew to like install stuff that's not Ruby. And um, so, I mean, some people install Ruby with Homebrew and that's, that's fine. But like within Railsland, people are typically using it for doing stuff like installing MySQL, installing Postgres, installing Redis, memcache, basically like the, the big ones that get a lot of installs are all the things that kind of you're your software might need that aren't in the Rails and GEM ecosystem. Um, so you may also use it to install like native libraries that your GEMs rely on in some cases as well. Um, so basically if, it, if it's written in C or C++, chances are you're installing it with Homebrew. And if it's written in Ruby, I guess, then chances are you're installing it with Ruby GEMs instead. And Mac ports is like still around. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're still, they're still going, like pretty strong i think they've got a different ethos on a few things like yeah like of, what
0: i'm curious and i'm not looking to create a war or hate or anything no but. well it's
1: it's funny cuz there there was previously a bit of a war because um <laughs> the the homebrew website for a long time said um macports driving you to drink try homebrew uh,
0: oh wow <laughs> get t-shirts made for that
1: <laughs> yeah and then uh and I had one with one of the kind of relatively active Mac ports maintainers. I had like a Twitter spat with them for a while, um, where I would like post shit about Mac ports and then they would get upset and like argue with me and then I would argue with them. And, and then it's funny because, like most things in open source, you know, like both of us probably really disliked or hated each other or whatever. And then we actually met at a conference we were both at and got on really well. And we're just yeah, like,
0: now you're now your best friends.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we're just both like, you know, that's silly and you know. So I guess the main modern ethos, I think, are things like, yeah, the pre, all the stuff we kind of talked about previously, um, and also like MacPorts I think, always needs Xcode, and the way they kind of tend to package stuff is a bit different. They have a slightly different maybe patching philosophy. So Homebrew's patching philosophy, which I guess originated from mine patching philosophy, is like avoid patching software whenever possible. A little history lesson for anyone who doesn't maybe remember, but um, Debian back in the day, and you know, I would have made the same mistake, so it's not pointing any fingers at anyone. They patched something in OpenSSL um, because Valgrind, which is a like C profiler thing, um, pointed out that they were using some unallocated memory. So they thought, okay, that's bad. Well, I'll, I'll comment out that line or whatever in a patch. But it turns out the unallocated memory which is almost always a bad idea to read from, in this case was being used for entropy data. So when you took that out, you took out a fairly major source (laughs) of entropy. So yeah, so Debian and I think the Debian derivatives like Ubuntu shipped a uh, massively less secure version of OpenSSL for a few years um, because all this entropy data was getting stripped out by a patch that someone had just applied. And my view as a package manager is that I don't know what's best for your software. So don't make me try and patch it because if, we go down that route, I will probably end up breaking it. And then your users will not blame, your users will blame you probably for my mistakes and then no one's happy.
0: Yeah, so that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about because I've I've always found it like really interesting with uh, homebrew or anytime you're building on top of something else, you know, uh, where like so say I'm just a normal schmo and I go like brew install whatever uh, and it like doesn't work and so now I don't know if it's homebrew's fault or the package's fault like the the thing I'm trying to install so I rush over to you know github.com uh, to to leave you an issue comment uh saying you know this is broken it's horrible and so I'm curious like loaded question but what is it like running this as an open source project
1: (laughs) yeah I mean it's I mean from that perspective it's actually not too bad like people generally understand that like we and we as homebrew are quite good at quite quickly figuring out whether stuff is our fault or someone else's fault and if it's someone else's fault then often we'll just flat out close the issue and just be like you know like someone else needs to figure this out because we can't figure this out um but yeah so it's kind of tricky because obviously you could in theory pour an almost infinite amount of time that every time your user reports a bug you could go and be like oh okay it's my responsibility to go and fix that in the upstream project but That just doesn't scale at all. We have, I think, uh, I can't remember how many off the top of my head, 12 to 14 maintainers now. And on a given day, there's probably sub-five that are active. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it it doesn't scale to try and have that many people managing, you know, thousands of packages. We have, like, I think over 3,000. And, yeah, if every time any one of those broke, we had to go and, like, manually submit fixes, then it doesn't really work. So what we tend to do is we we kind of lean on people's ability to care about stuff. Like one of the- one That of seems the things, dangerous. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it works reasonably well actually because, so I heard a, a terrible but s- sadly true uh, relationship um, I was gonna say advice, but it's definitely not advice. I guess relationship anecdote, which is that the person who cares the least wins the relationship. I like, if you and your wow. partner, it's, it's, it's awful, but in this, I'll, I'll segue into why it works in this case. But so I guess in the anecdote, it's almost stuff like, if both of you are like, neither of you wanna do the washing up, the person who like gets bothered first by the amount of washing up piled up by the sink or the smell or the animals living in the washing up, like that person will eventually cave and then do the washing up and then the other person like wins. And obviously (laughs) that's not a recipe for a good marriage. Um, But in this case- But it is for
0: an open source project apparently.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) No, so so the the way that kind of ends up working with something like Homebrew is that Um, Because we have so many people, we rely more on others to kind of say, you know, there's some bug in MySQL. I mean, if, if it's a really popular package like MySQL and it's broken for like everyone and the fix is like relatively trivial for homebrew maintainers, like say something in the build system or whatever, but relatively hard for like random people, then yeah, we'll jump on it and fix it. But say it's a relatively obscure package that doesn't get installed by a lot of people and you and your company or whatever really, really need this package, then generally we'll be like, okay, we'll give you help along the way to kind of fix this we will point you to the right place and what to do and give you the benefits of our experience but like you are the person if you care about this package working and it's broken and it's like broken your workflow you need to be like responsible for getting involved and actually trying to at least work on getting it fixed rather than just like filing an issue and be like right broken you need to fix it now because again like that that works if you're my boss and you're paying me money and it's like broken need to be fixed or implication get a new job and i'm like okay yeah that's fine i like my job and i like money in a house and things like that more than i like you know having to suffer through this crappy bug but if that's like an open source project as i said it doesn't really scale to just be like oh okay yeah no i'm gonna go off and altruistically help every single person because then i have like no one has any time to actually work on things that are maybe more important and higher priority
0: so I'm curious about this because I was talking in, I forget what episode it was, but another episode around money in open source. I'm curious how, what you think about that. So I mean, like, uh, so just at GitHub, for example, right? I mean, we rely on homebrew basically to, to bootstrap computers. And when you start a project, uh, well, we rely on the resource of Homebrew to, you know, install the packages we need and everything else like that. And so, and I know you do have hard costs. I mean,
1: uh, I believe, right? Yeah. So, I mean, our funny thing is we have... Again, I try and run homebrew's finances relatively like my own personal finances. In the poorly, or yeah, <laughs> exactly. In that I just spend all the you money just, on cars. Uh, yeah,
0: cars of beer. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's why it's called homebrew.
1: <laughs> exactly. Like you're you're mainly just pure paying for my beer tab. Uh, but yeah, no. So I, I tend to try and basically try and emphasize fixed costs over like variable costs. Um, i.e. I would rather pay like whatever a hundred bucks for something and then it's a one-off purchase rather than like subscribe to something that's going to cost me like 10 bucks a month because the problem is homebrew we the only money we've ever got basically has been either out of the pockets of maintainers or we ran a kickstarter a couple of years ago where we got I think uh fifteen thousand dollars or something something in pounds i can't remember what it was in dollars um so yeah so basically since then we spent like immediately basically three quarters of that money on mac minis because at the time we had no hardware for ci so we we bought a bunch of mac minis And then we have like some money in the bank just for stuff like VMware upgrades and stuff like that. But our our monthly recurring revenue is zero. So I'm unwilling to sign up for anything which requires monthly recurring revenue of more than zero, i.e. almost everything. So that ends up being a massive pain and thankfully our size is big enough that we have a couple of nice sponsors. you know, shout out to Positive Internet, to One Password, to you see, I've got my own sponsors. I, I'm on this. <laughs>
0: Wait a minute,
1: <laughs> I've got got my own uh, gear. Someone
0: stop this man.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we've got we've got a few people who basically I've just gone to them and be like, hey, like, can we use your stuff? And they're like, sure. How much are you going to pay us? And I'm like, nothing, <laughs> but we'll put something on our readme on ho- on uh, GitHub, uh, and. Yeah, and sometimes, well, more often than not, they go, haha, no. Uh, but then, yeah, we, we've we got, like, the, the stuff that we do have, our kind of fixed, sorry, our regular outgoing costs are basically paid for by those people. Um, so, that's something that's not going to work forever like i i personally want to go on kind of a better fundraising drive uh, now that we've released kind of 1.0 and things are a bit more kind of stable um but yeah but basically the money side of things is hard there's a lot of people talking and thinking about this stuff right now but it, it certainly doesn't solve itself and it's i think particularly hard if you're a open source project that's used by a lot of places but you're not anyone's core infrastructure, and you don't have any of your maintainers who are like wanting to make it their full-time job. Like it, like I've worked on open source projects in the past where there's a kind of fairly natural solution to this problem, which is that one or more of the maintainers are like, okay, well I'll make my full-time or at least part-time gig like doing consulting on Homebrew. And then like we can kind of, the project can make money through like building this kind of commercial ecosystem around it. Whereas with Homebrew, because it's like a Mac package manager, and we are used by some pretty big companies and stuff like that but it's kind of harder to extract revenue in that way um, so yeah so it we just need to figure shoot out ads to do that.
0: down just uh, when i go brew install you know ruby or whatever just have it be like hey have you heard of casper casper <laughs> is the number one that sounds like or a brain tree you know Braintree is the easiest way to do billing on your website just boom I don't think anyone would
1: mind. <laughs> no, I, I'm sure people wouldn't at all. Like, and it would also start a whole new market in terminal-based ad terminal, lockers.
0: You would be, you would be the beginning. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. So you mentioned 1.0. Uh, uh, tell me a little bit about it and why? Why does it matter? Like, why does? I'm curious from an open source project perspective. Like, why is 1.0 important to you?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I I can't remember what the mathematical term is. But like that's where we were getting with our version numbers where, you know, when you go from like 0.9 to 0.99 to 0.99999, you know, <laughs> and never quite. And it feels like that's what we've been like with version numbers in the, in the past. They've been fairly haphazard and we've just kind of bumped them fairly randomly to try and be like, okay, yeah, we've added some stuff. That seems kind of important and it's not broken. So let's kind of bump the version number. Um, so with 1.0, was, I guess I maybe started thinking about it I'm not sure how long ago, maybe like three to six months ago. I just thought like, okay, well, we've been kind of doing this for a while. and We've got, we've pushed, we wanted to push through a few kind of relatively big architectural changes, but also signify to people like, okay, we're pushing these changes through. We realize this may kind of break some of your stuff. To be fair, if you just run brew install and stuff like that, it's not gonna break your stuff. It's more like scripts maybe around the kind of ecosystem. So, I kind of thought, okay, well, what's the best way of doing that? Well, one of them is we kind of move to semantic versioning and we actually start trying to commit to having a more stable base. So I guess the, the very early beginnings of that were, we've kind of felt pain for quite a while in that the package management and the kind of formulae, what we call like the package definitions, were always in the same repository. So. If you wanted like the latest version of MySQL, whatever, you run brew update and you get an updated package manager and updated like package repository. But the problem is, is if we break something in the package manager for you, then like you need to basically pick between into having the latest MySQL and having a broken package manager, or like having a working package manager and like the latest MySQL. And and to be fair, like we didn't break it that often enough for that to be a really massive problem, but it's still like it's still annoying kind of having those two things tied together. So the first thing we did is we kind of split that into two repositories like we've got like homebrew slash brew and homebrews like home that being the, the homebrew organization on githubs and brew being the name of the repository and then like homebrew core which is like where all the packages are. So. Like that, that kind of helped to be able to start doing these things in separate repositories. One of the big casualties of that, unfortunately, was we've like our star count dropped down and really like-
0: Oh no, why, why even if, do open source?
1: Exactly, why why bother if you don't have the stars? So, but you know, it's been creeping up again, so that's okay. Um, but yeah, so like that, that was a pretty big deal, like being able to split them. And then eventually kind of for 1.0, we now have like tags and um, where when you run brew update and you're kind of a, what we have like defined by code as being like a normal user using our, our kind of secret metrics. Um, then you get updated to kind of just the latest tag for the package manager instead of like whatever the last commit was. So we basically have like a, a subset of people who are kind of on the rolling release, like certainly all the homebrew maintainers and like regular contributors to homebrew who are kind of getting like every change as it gets pushed out. But then now other people are on kind of a stable release path. And then that's made it a lot easier for us if we kind of introduce bugs or whatever that we catch them a lot quicker. Um, and it stops most of these bugs from kind of hitting people on who are on the tag releases. Which and so previously
0: there weren't uh, release channels. Everything was just
1: yep. mainline or whatever. Exactly, everything was just the master branch. Interesting.
0: All right. Well, that makes sense then. I mean, it normally w- when we're talking about web stuff here, um, everyone basically has a staging environment or something where that they can give a give a go to before they bring the entire site down. And so has it been working well for you since you uh,
1: shipped? Yeah, I think so. I mean, one of the toughest things, obviously inevitably the bugs when you want to release 1.0 and tag it and start updating people to tags at the same time what are the most obvious bugs you're going to have to start with well there's going to be bugs with how you update people to tags because that's like code that's completely untested before (laughs) you like have the tag commit so yeah so there was a few bugs around that and there's we've been kind of our our release iterations have been kind of getting like I think we had a couple of release like a couple of point releases in the first you know week or so and then now we're more about a week apart and we could probably get further apart still um so yeah so I think it's been working pretty well for us it's been it's been a nice change and I think it it just allows us to have you know to in some ways be a little bit more haphazard on the master branch and a little bit more careful with how and when we're doing tags which is kind of nice well it's it's how it kind of should be really so, all right. So you have your 1.0.
0: This project's been going around for a while now. What's like? What is the hardest part of this? I mean, it's like, for example, some things that I've seen over the over the the years of watching uh, this project, and recently you working uh, on it, like getting analytics in was like a big thing uh, for the community. Like there's gotta be a bunch of times where you all do something and the community just kind of explodes either rightfully so or not. But is that one of the most like taxing difficult parts of this project or or what is?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's, you know, we have a a user base probably more, well, no, I I guess to be fair, most large widely used open source projects have this, not unusual problem and i I mean to be honest most software where if you're if you're doing a good job you don't hear from the vast majority of your users the vast majority of the time so if even like 0.1 of your users decide that they're really furious about something then all of a sudden it seems like the sky is falling and that everyone hates you and everyone thinks you're terrible and stuff like that so that that's kind of a hard thing to do you have to have a certain amount of A thick skin at least at the moment i think hopefully we will look back at open source and kind of you know 10 years if not less than that and say that that's more of a solved problem that we don't we figured out a way to just stop people just like exploding about things um but i think i think that's the thing is that you need to the analytics was a good example i I think you were like there firsthand and I kind of showed you some of the, <laughs> the conversation. Well, I mean, cause the funny thing, the analytics was on it. Uh, so what, but just so on, if yeah, people sir.
0: don't know, if people don't know what we're talking about, can you give a quick? Uh, yeah, recap? yeah sure.
1: So in, I guess, March or so, uh, we added analytics. That again was something we have been kind of talking about for a little while. Um, and it's basically came down to being, we had fairly big problems with prioritization. So again, as I mentioned earlier, you have like almost an infinite amount of time you can spend on homebrew kind of work on packages. And I, I mentioned earlier, like, you know, picking an important package and not important package and stuff like that. But if you have no installation numbers, which we didn't because it's all on on your local disk, then how do you know to prioritize, say my SQL and Postgres break on the same day, how do I know which has more users and which I, I mean, should prioritize?
0: I mean, yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, we both work for GitHub, right? So this one, this we're one we're legally
0: obligated to answer MySQL. <laughs>
1: exactly, um, but yeah. So, like that—that's a, a slightly silly example, but particularly when it's slightly more niche software, it's kind of—it's really hard to get a sense of how many people use this. Like, there's a lot of software, MySQL, OpenSSL, libxml that you kind of see on everyone's machines, and you know, like, okay, that's really widely used. But then there's a bunch of other stuff that. Particularly, you know, if you're in the Ruby community or the Node community or whatever, like I, I'm in the Ruby community mainly, and I'm mainly living in the the Ruby ecosystem. There's not a lot of kind of Node.js stuff that goes on at GitHub, so it would be very easy for me to draw the conclusion that some of this, some of the kind of related Node packages are not that valuable, just because I don't see people using that. Whereas I do see people using the Ruby stuff. So basically we wanted a, a more objective measure than just, oh, I've, you know, this feels popular, this feels not, or equally like more people complain about this, less people complain about that. So we we introduced analytics um, that are as anonymized as we can possibly make them. You know, there's a, a UUID, which is generated just randomly on your machine, kind of just so we can get like user counts. Um, but yeah, basically, we, we kind of shipped this and there was some, you know, other maintainers were a little bit more realistic that there were going to be a bit more fallout than I was. I was like, you know, nah, it's going to be fine. Um, <laughs> and then we shipped it and it blew up on Hacker News while I was on a transatlantic flight, uh, like, which was helpful. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I, you know, basically as kind of happens a few times and stuff like that in homebrew, I, you know, I was the main driver of the, the change. So I, I kind of, you know, basically pretty much got back into my hotel room and then like binge worked on a bunch of features and stuff like that to try and make it more amenable to people and more obvious what, what was going on and all this type of thing. Um, but yeah, and, that, and that's mostly died down now. Like, I, I, I mean, we still get periodic kind of haters around this stuff, but I, I think the thing is, is that most people, understand who have used analytics through you know their workplace that it's really really useful and it tells you a lot about your users and it helps you to make the software better you know we're not we're not as some emailers have said trying to spy on you like the NSA like they already have that taken care it, of exactly. need homebrew. no exactly like I, and we don't you know even if we wanted to sell all the data like I we've designed it in such a way that it would be useless and we couldn't sell it because you can't take anything from it or know anything about the individual other than they installed these three packages so uh, like well, is that kyle <laughs> yeah i i well i mean the one exception is kyle specifically we have like a the only
0: the list. only installer of this really obscure pokemon library yeah
1: kyle is that you yeah, Pokemon Go cheats for for free.
0: <laughs> oh <laughs> man, stories to tell, my friends, stories to tell. So yeah, yeah, I mean, is that it? Is, it? is it just a community that like, you know, I mean, it's so, I, I would ask you like, why do you keep working on it? But that kind of seems like mildly self-answering. And so I, I kind of want to poke it just like, you know.
1: Oh no, that's, it's a valid question. Cause I, I do ask myself that periodically. I think part of it is, so I'm the, you know, there's been various other maintainers, including the creator, Max, who've kind of come and gone to homebrew over the years. Uh, And I'm the person who's been working on the longest. And I do ask myself like why that is. Um, And I think part of it is just, I'm an incredibly stubborn person. And particularly when I I can confirm. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Kyle knows. Um, Yeah. And particularly around like, it's funny, the times I would be the most tempted to quit around stuff like, you know, when the analytics, things like that blew up, then like the stubborn part of me is like, no, I will not let them win. Like, I will not let them. <laughs> I'm going
0: to analytic harder. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's part of it. And part of it is just, you know, it, it's really widely used software. Um, it's a, a thing that solves a bunch of problems for a bunch of people and makes their lives easier. And it's something that. I have a tremendous amount of domain knowledge over the years, which is just really satisfying. You know, it's my my day job at GitHub is satisfying, but the nature of GitHub and the business that it's in is that we're having to solve a bunch of problems in some cases that, you know, certainly we as individuals have never solved before and sometimes solve certain problems that no one's tried to solve before.
0: And And, because of homebrew, we have to solve all these problems. Exactly, (laughs) like, so I,
1: I need to make, keep homebrew going to keep my, co-workers at GitHub working hard to Employed, settle. yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I think that's the thing is that it's, it's really satisfying with Homebrew with the number of users we have and with the kind of relatively small team we have and like the kind of influence I have on the project that I can go in and in like 15, 20 minutes make something which like saves a lot of people a lot of time. And that, that level of kind of, effort to reward is I think what's most satisfying when you've worked on something this long is that it is just really cool to have someone submit an issue and have them be like oh this seems like a long shot and a lot of work or whatever and you can look at it and be like oh that's actually pretty easy and bang it out in like half an hour and then like have that on the user's machine in like under a day and then like just the the kind of joy that results from people when you're able to do stuff like that is just really satisfying. Was Homebrew your first like big open source project that you were a part of? Uh, it's it's certainly been the it's been the first one I've been a really like major driver in I guess mm-hmm. like I previously worked on KDE in a past life um, that's a a Linux desktop environment um, like all the kind of GUI look and feel stuff and the future. Yeah, exactly. The it's you know, two thousand seventeen th- th- year the year of Linux on the desktop. Um. And uh, yeah, no, I worked on that for a while. Like I I used to be a big hardcore uh, desktop Linux guy. Um, In fact, funnily enough, yesterday I I got my email going back, I think, about 11 years. And I I thought yesterday would be fun to read through some of my oldest emails. Um, And some of them were uh, bug reports I'd filed to like a Linux package manager like 11 years ago. And I was like, oh, "Oh, this is going to be interesting reading because... I was see like how how annoyed would I be at like me as a user now. And thankfully, like I was great. So it, everything was fine. Um, but uh, yeah, I I was kind of involved with KDE, kind of involved with a couple of like random open source projects here and there. I, one of the nice things about doing stuff like homebrew and having a suitably lower... Uh, attention span is that I've kind of contributed like a couple of commits to like loads of projects like maybe kind of 20 or 30 different projects over the years sometimes you know randomly just fixing readmes and sometimes you know just fixing little little things that have bothered me and stuff like that and I think that's one of the reasons why I've been you know before I worked at GitHub such a big fan of GitHub because you know I worked on KDE back in the day when what you would do is you had a mailing list and it was all in subversion so what you would do is you'd you'd make your commit locally and you couldn't commit it obviously because this is subversion and i don't have access to the subversion repository it's just read only so i make my commit i do my work locally i run SVN diff, and then i email that to a mailing list and then by the time someone else is like oh yeah like there's a merge conflict now then I need to then go and like SVN up and then like fix my commit locally and send that again and hope that it gets merged by someone else before there's another merge conflict. And yeah, and just that whole experience, like it was kind of state of the art at the time, but like- in comparison now, it's just so unbelievably painful. Um, And the other big thing was that every single project back then had a slightly different way of doing things. It might be a mailing list on this one, it might be a bug tracker on that one, and it might be CVS or Subversion or Perforce or whatever. And it's, yeah, it's it's so great now that we're, we have, I think bizarrely, there's a lot of things people would credit GitHub for, but for me, the biggest thing I would credit them for is, It's for standardizing the process of submitting a change to an open source project. I think that's what has made it much, much easier for a random person to submit to open source when like 10 years ago, they would have given up at the first or second or fifth hurdle.
0: And so then this begs the final question. If I was a schmo and I was interested in helping out with Homebrew or adding my package to Homebrew, what's the easiest way to to do
1: that? You see, this this shows your lack of preparation, Kyle, because actually Homebrew <laughs> is uh, several steps ahead of you here because in our README, we actually have that as basically like a thing you can do straight away, having commands that you already have installed on your machine and stuff like that. So we have a thing called Brew Audit and that's basically our kind of style checker thing. It's a little bit like RuboCop. Um, we're, trying to, we're gonna actually try and move some of those checks to be a Rubocop plugin at some point that's on my to-do list um but yeah basically you can run this and it goes and runs through all the kind of stuff you've got installed and stuff you don't have installed and kind of checks for little style violations and there's always like a few because we're whenever we add a new rule we we don't go through and like fix every occurrence because it's an almost like a nice entry-level kind of task for people and also like it's like not always th- the most interesting thing to do <clears throat> uh so, but- It's called for, crowdsourcing. Exactly, so we, we crowdsource our style relations uh, getting fixed. But no, I, and I, I found like that's a really good way to kind of get used to the homebrew contribution process because often these things, you can go and make like a one line change, sometimes like a you know a couple of characters change and then submit that up and then you can see kind of how our process works. And then when you've done that a couple of times, you can go and get used to the flow and then kind of maybe start making some more advanced changes and things like that. And another really common thing people do is just submitting updates to packages. We have, again, another command called, I think it's brew bump formula PR, which is like, okay, I've got my SQL 5.7.0 and 5.7.2 got released. Um, so I'm going to submit a pull request that just like changes the version, assuming everything else stays the same. So that is basically a little tool that lets you kind of do that and actually submits the pull request for you. Although I would say I need to add the caveat that if that's my sequel, then probably 10 people have already submitted that pull request. So like
0: <laughs> is it like a, <laughs> is it like a, you know an internet forum thing where everyone's like I'm the first one? I did it.
1: First post. Yeah. yeah, we do have a little bit of that um, in that you know it's I think people. Well, and it's good. I mean, I, I don't actually begrudge that because often, if it's something like MySQL, you know, several people notice kind of around the same time and they check for PRs at the same time and submit PRs at the same time. And, you know, it's like one button press to close that. And I would far rather we got duplicates than people didn't submit at all. Um, but yeah, but I think there is a certain amount of satisfaction in, in you know, like knowing. And that's the cool thing about a project like Homebrew, right? We've had, I think, over 6,000 different contributors over the years. Like we used to be, I'm not sure we are anymore, but we used to be kind of up there as kind of one of the most um, contributed to projects. And it's kind of nice knowing that like, oh, okay, like everyone got MySQL 5.7.1, like due to me. Like I submitted that upgrade and, you know, there was some stuff under the hood that kind of all happened, but that happened as a result of my work. so yeah, like it's. I think it's a, a cool project to kind of contribute to. Obviously, I'm biased, but yeah, I would recommend getting involved. And and you can always, as well, if you if you hit anything that's confusing, you can always reach out to me personally, and I try and always help people who are kind of struggling with this stuff, um, on like Twitter or email or whatever. I'm sure Kyle will link that. Awesome. Yeah. So, how do people get in touch
0: with you? How do they follow along if they were like, wow, this is this Mike McQuaid. He's pretty. He's pretty cool. I want to. I want to hear more from him.
1: <laughs>
0: I laugh because I don't know. If that's it's the what happens. Not but true.
1: <laughs> if it were, if it were, uh, if it were true, uh, yeah. No. So I, I guess I'm on Twitter at Mike McQuaid. Um, no one will know how to spell that, but it will be linked somewhere. I will link it. Yeah. Yeah, you will link it. Um, make sure to get the the Q capitalized. Um, that's a very important thing for me in my life. Uh, and it's funny. That's actually as an aside. That's my way of trolling like not necessarily even programmers but their managers or whatever it's like literally every single time i receive a letter that has mike McQuaid and like it's like the q is lowercase i i know being a programmer, you know, I know almost invariably that's probably because their record stores like surnames as yeah. all in lowercase or whatever, or all uppercase and then just like run some capitalization thing afterwards. But I will always complain. Like I, even though I know like 99.9% of the time that complaint is utterly futile and pointless, <laughs> I just do it anyway because that's the type of individual I am.
0: <laughs> so if you want more of that, I will
1: link to it. Yeah, if you want that, that level of pointless pedantry in your life, then yeah, then you can follow me on Twitter, and I will not do that, and just occasionally post interesting links.
0: Oh, that's that's awesome. Okay, well, Mike, you've made it to the end of uh, round one, and I didn't. I really don't think you bring or you didn't bring your A game of uh, your usual sass for me.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I try. The thing is with the sass is, you know. Kyle's a very delicate individual and I constantly worry that me having to constantly correct his spelling and grammar yeah. will at some point push him over the edge. And, you know, and at, at that point, you know, I'm just, I'm concerned about GitHub's future GraphQL interface if that happens. And you know, if that means that on a day-to-day basis, I need to, you know, read messages in slack that look like they're written by a, a five-year-old <laughs> then so be it that's that's the sacrifice that i i bear
0: well awesome <laughs> i was worried when sean left that no one was going to give me a hard time but i i have no doubt that i'll be able to find enough co-hosts to come on for a week and, make, and keep keep me honest
1: slap you on the face with a fish or something exactly
0: oh man no 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 more fish we're good
1: <laughs> all right thanks mike
0: one down one episode in the can uh, very excited uh that was great that was a great conversation with mike uh, if you don't use homebrew yet definitely give it a shot if you're new to software development Um, You might not have a reason quite yet to use it, but go to Google Homebrew and you'll see it right there. You can install packages way easier. And if you install all of your packages through Homebrew, it's a a lot easier to get everything set up. Um, Thanks again to uh, Mike for joining me on the podcast this week. Uh, We'll see you all next week with another episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast. You can find me on Twitter and GitHub at KDaigle. Until next week, see ya.